In Ephesians 1.5, Paul writes that God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. In ancient Rome, adoption was used as a way to carry on a family line and to secure a family heritage. So for this reason, adoption of adult males after careful evaluation of that guy was really common, but, but he would have had to prove worthy to carry on the family line. So the adoption of infants was really just rare because of the risk that the son might not grow up to be a worthy heir. But where Roman adoption was predicated on the worthiness of the adoptee, God's adoption was predicated on nothing but the good pleasure of his will, welcoming all into his family as heirs and as the adopted siblings of Christ. So instead of carefully investigating our worthiness, God predestined us for adoption, choosing us before the foundation of the world as an act of pure grace. In response to this adopting work of God, Christians have cared about adoption for a long time. And today I'm joined with a good friend, Jeremy Smith. He's a pastor at Eastwood Baptist Church in Midwest City, Oklahoma, and a fellow student at Midwestern. And and I've asked Jeremy to share with us a bit about their story of adoption. So Jeremy, thanks for being willing to talk about adoption. Aaron, I'm always excited to, to share our story and just the way that, uh, that God used our family and uh, continues to use our family and not just within our church, but um, in broader ministry and uh, just a, a great, great opportunity to, to love as we are called to love as followers of Jesus. Yeah, well, thank thank you, and and I I'm really looking forward to it. We've talked just a handful of times about adoption, and and really briefly, and so I think this will be my first time hearing it sort of more in depth. But maybe maybe you can just uh, tell us where you're at in life. How old are your kids now? Where where what's your ministry like? What what are you doing in life? Yeah, so uh, we've got the the two boys. Um, both of them are adopted, and we don't we don't have any biological children. Um, but the oldest is nine and the youngest is seven. And so we've got a, a fourth grader and a first grader. Um, they love playing baseball. They're very, very active, um, full of life, uh, both really good students. We, I, you know, whenever I thought about what it would mean to be a father, I always wanted to raise like, you know, these Renaissance children. (laughs) And so the fact that they're, they're good athletes, they're good students, um, they're, they're good musicians. They both play piano and, and ukulele. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're working on their fourth language. We're mm. hoping to pick up a fifth one by the summer. Wow. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They only speak English, but that would have been incredible. On... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but are, they both are working on, on languages. They have like some little app that they use. And so my oldest is doing French and my youngest is actually doing Arabic, which is, wow. uh, shocking but you know these these well-rounded kids that we get to uh to be blessed with and, and be a blessing too so mm. yeah that's um my ministry I'm, i've been here at eastwood uh actually since 1999 and uh i started here as a youth pastor did that for eight years transitioned to be uh the senior pastor um and and have been doing that for uh goodness what 14 15 years now I lose track of time. It's been a long time. And, um, and then, like you said, I'm, I'm a student at Midwestern, uh, PhD in old Testament studies, really hoping to be done with that in 2013. That's the in, goal in 2013 in 2013. Yeah. In two, uh, 2023. Sorry. See, that's dad brain. People yeah. talk about mom brain, but we have <laughs> dad brain too. So yes, 2023, 
Um, yeah, I didn't know if that was a joke of like, I, you know, <laughs> had wanted to do it like yesterday, but like That's 10 a years little ago. bit of it. Okay. Uh, you know, my, my goal whenever I started was to finish before my oldest hit high school because I want to really mm-hmm. be able to be available yep. um, and not have to be studying all the time. But uh, it looks like I'll finish it while he's in middle school. So I'm pretty excited wow. about that in 2023. Congrats. That's great. Well, thank you. Um, so, okay, talk, maybe maybe you can just start by sharing wherever you'd want to start with and, and what caused you and your wife to start to think about adoption and, and pursue that and, and just walk us through your experience. I think one of the challenging things as we, as we think about adoption is, is Christians, is we just don't know that many people who have, and so it can kind of be intimidating even to pause to consider pursuing adoption. Absolutely. Uh, so for us, um, really the, the process started with our boys and we didn't set out, like we weren't looking to adopt. Uh, so in goodness, what was it? 2014, I think, um, there was a family that were members of our church that, that they were involved in foster care mm-hmm. and they actually had several kids that had been in and out. Um, but they had these two boys that came to them, uh, in September of that year. And this family was fixing to take a position with uh, an international missions organization in Africa. And so obviously they couldn't take the kids with them. And as we got closer and closer to them leaving and they were still fostering these two boys, uh, my wife and I just said, you know what, we've got a house, we've got spare bedrooms, we've got the resources. Um, What if we just fostered them not knowing their situation, not knowing their story, what, it, what the future looked like for them at all. Mm-hmm. So we, we sat down with the foster dad and we said, Hey, we would be open and available. And, you know, that was after we had, she and I had talked about it and prayed about it and felt like this is what we were supposed to do. And when we sat down with them, the, the dad, the foster dad said, well, they've already been assigned to another foster family. Mm. And we were crushed because we really felt like that's what we were supposed to do. And um, so we were just kind of, you know, well, what do we do? We felt like, you know, for sure this was the deal. And these two boys are very sweet. They were three and one at the time. And um, it's like, we're, we're probably never going to see them again. Um, and that was in November. Well, in January, my wife gets a phone call on a Thursday night and it's the new foster mom. And she's calling to ask if we are still interested in fostering them because she has uh, a three-year-old biological daughter and then the boys who were uh, three and one. And then she has another foster care placement that's six months old. Hmm. So her house is full. And she just says, I can't do it. I just, I just don't have the energy. Mm -hmm. So at that point we, we agree. And so we, we work through, um, our department of human services here in the state of Oklahoma and they have to come out, you know, make sure our house is safe and do the background checks. And we begin what's called respite care. And we start keeping them on Wednesdays and on weekends. And so every Wednesday afternoon I would go pick them up. And we'd come to the church and we would have dinner. We would do family dinners at that time for our church. Mm-hmm. And then they would stay the night with us. And Thursday morning, I would take them back. And then on Friday, I would go pick them up again. 
and they would stay with us Friday night and Saturday night. Uh, and then Sunday night we would take them back, um, to their, their foster parents. And so we did that for, uh, about a month. And then at the end of that time, I, we, we had all of our background checks done the whole process, everything. And so I went and picked them up on that Friday. It was snowing and I strapped them into my truck, uh, their little car seats. And I had one, um, paper sack with all their belongings, all their clothes, all their toys fit in one uh, paper sack and loaded them up and brought them home. And they've been with us since. We continued the foster process, uh, took about two years. And as we went through that process, you know, parent visits and court dates and all that kind of stuff, um, the caseworker began to tell us a little bit more about their story and how reunification with their biological parents was probably not going to happen. So at that point, Vanessa and I began praying about, well, is this God leading us to adopt them? And we, we felt very sure at that time, you know, and we, neither one of us really wanted to bring it up first, you know, because it's a big decision. Um, but we both felt it. And as soon as I, and I can, I'd like to say I, I brought it up first, but probably (laughs) she did. Um, but as soon as, as it was brought up, it was like, yes, this is definitely what we feel like we're supposed to do. Hmm. Um, so it took until, uh, October of 2016 when the biological parents, um, finally signed away uh, their parental rights. And then in January, January 20th of 2017, um, we stood before a judge and he declared them to be our children. And uh, so that was, that was an exciting day. And, you know, Mm. since then it's been just a little over four years since we finalized and it's been a lot of ups and downs and a lot of learning and a lot of frustration that any parents will feel. Um, but, you know, you, you have kids that have been through uh, some traumatic experiences because, you know, something had to happen for them to be removed from the home. Mm-hmm. And so they've already experienced that level of trauma. And then we were the third placement for them within about a six-month period. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, working through attachment issues and, and things like that that we've had to work through and deal with and, and go through counseling together as a family and um, lots of healthy things for us. And we, and we've had the church that's been very supportive of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're blessed that we have other families in the church that have adopted. Um, and so we have a good network here of people that we can go to when we're frustrated and they can mm-hmm. come to us when they're frustrated and we can talk through these things uh, in, in a community and know that it's it's a it's a safe place to share those frustrations. Wow, that that's an amazing story. And and I you know obviously the the Lord led led your family together it, through this foster to adoption move, and uh, that that's not the only way to pursue adoption. Are are you familiar enough? with the other avenues of adoption that you would have anything to share on that or sure. Yeah. Yeah. A a lot of people go into the process, like they go in looking to adopt and um, so they will, you know, you can work again through your state's department of human services 
um, and let them know that that's what, what you are looking to do. Um, of course, there's lots of agencies as well. Um, there's agencies that, you know, will do both fostering and adoption. And so if someone's looking to adopt, uh, working through an agency is great. One of the benefits that we found uh, going through just the Department of Human Services here, which, you know, you're, you're working with the government and it's, you know, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have enough of a, of a libertarian streak in me that, you know, <laughs> I don't trust the government for, to do anything right. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, for us, you know, sometimes when, when people think of adoption, they think about things that would prohibit you from adopting, they think of the financial costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one of the great things with, with us, at least in, in our state, is that uh, it didn't cost us anything. Mm. Um, there, you had to pay a court fee, um, but that was, that was covered. There was a reimbursement for that. Even the lawyer that we worked with, he knows how much the state will reimburse for an adoption and that's all that he charges. And that's, uh-huh. he's, he's a believer and that's part of his ministry is helping um, kids get adopted. And he does, he specializes in, in adoption law. And so that's why he charges just what the state charges uh-huh. um, to, to help parents be able to, to make that process. But yeah, there's, you know, there's always lots of agencies that can help people walk through that process mm-hmm. and, you know, but also looking for to the state um, you know, again, there's, there's, when you foster, there are the, the reimbursements that come from the state to do that, that help defray certain costs that, you know, it's, it obviously will never, if, if you, you know, for, for those that are parents, you know, uh, kids are expensive and, uh, it's, you know, people, the idea that people go into fostering to like make money um, is, is pretty ridiculous because yeah. you, you're never going to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, but yeah. the state, the state does help. And oh. so, and, and oftentimes those that are in foster care, those are the ones that most need support mm-hmm. and, uh, acceptance and all the things that we as believers have received from God, you know, that's what, that's what these kids need as well. Mm-hmm. And so we are, we are above all, I believe, equipped to meet these kids where they are and to meet the needs that they have. Yeah. So, so you're, you're touching on the, the cost of adoption piece. And when I, when I think of the challenges to adopting, that would be what comes first to my mind. And and maybe it's because I on occasion see uh, someone on Facebook sharing a a fundraising thing with a really high number. And and maybe that's unique to uh, foreign adoptions outside of the U S or, or something like that. But um, are, you you talked about your state sort of helping out that way. What what are other ways that that financial burden or or that roadblock might be able to be circumnavigated? Sure, uh, and that that is true with with a lot of international adoptions. Is that you're going to run into greater costs. Um, some nations actually require you to be in the nation for uh, weeks before they allow you to adopt. Um, and so that that can be uh, quite intimidating when you look at the cost and time. Uh, but I know a lot of people they do they do crowdsourcing type GoFundMe accounts, and um, I know that uh, and I can't think of them. I'm sure we we googled them, we could find them. But I know there are other organizations even among the church that um, has uh, monies available to mm-hmm. to help people to do that. Um, and I know some churches that they have helped to financially support some of um, 
their members when they seek to adopt as well. Yeah, you mentioned there are several families in in your church who have adopted. Have have they gone through that process as part of your church, or or did they join the church having already adopted? Uh, So one of them joined. uh, They had already adopted, and their their son is an adult now. Um, Another one, and this was a uh, what we call a kinship, and so there's a prior relationship, and they were actually um, these are grandparents, and they've adopted Mm. their grandchildren. Okay. And so there was a prior relationship. And so that went through the state as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they worked through Oklahoma Department of Human Services to finalize that process as well. Uh-huh. Okay. So so looking at the costs or the challenges there, do I, I think another one is I just assume you have to like be fairly wealthy and have a huge house to be able to pass the state requirements. <laughs> is that true or is that a bit of a myth? That's a myth. Yeah. Um, what they do require is within your house is that if if they're children of different genders have to have their own bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, you know, our two boys they when when they came in, and we're certainly not wealthy, and we we have a very you know <laughs> middle road sized home, mm-hmm. um, you know, three bedroom, and so they they were actually in the same bedroom. Um, until quite recently, because we had a, uh, she's not officially adopted, but we had a, a girl from our church who uh, was basically our daughter, and um, she lived with us through her college years, and so she was in the other bedroom, okay. and uh, so yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was that was all that we had, and and so you know it didn't didn't cost us a whole lot. We didn't have to have a massive house to do that. Um, so that's that's all that that's required. That's um, great. Yeah. Um, so as, as you went into adoption, obviously I think you, you mentioned you didn't plan to do that. It is sort of developed over time. I think, you know, some, some plan it out a bit more of we, we want to adopt and, and start pursuing that. And, and so it's a bit of a different path and there's probably a dis- different challenges between adopting a newborn and adopting, uh, children who are a bit older, but can can you share a little bit more about some of those initial challenges of adoption as they were becoming part of your family, whether that's stuff with the state or or just relationally or or some of these other things? Yeah, uh, from our experience, you know, again, working with the state was a challenge because um, the, the ultimate goal when when you're working through your state department of health. Their goal, the goal of the caseworker is reunification with the biological parents. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they it ultimately comes down to the decision of a judge to say, you know this is this is not going to work. We need to, you know that they'll come up with a plan that the parents, the biological parents are supposed to be working, and how diligently they're doing that uh, determines how quickly, uh, the parents' rights will be terminated. And so for us going through that process and, and just going back and forth um, between, you know, the caseworker saying this one month and then saying something else the next month uh-huh. was very emotionally draining. And we we have, um, I'm not sure if this is a, a national thing, but there's a, a, a program called CASA, C-A-S-A, and it's a court-appointed special advocate. And these are those that are seeking the best interest for the kids. And it, these are volunteers, which mm-hmm. means nobody's paying them uh, so that they can't be swayed. 
And these are just professionals in the community that have gone through training and they'll investigate the case. They will, I mean, our, our CASA worker, she ended up, she would go and and kind of follow the biological parents around and see what they're doing and what are they up to. And she was probably doing that to us too, just making sure, you know, we are who we say we are. And uh, we, we appreciated her um, really putting the, the desire for the best situation for our boys um, into the forefront and CASA workers carry a lot of weight with the judge, their reports, mm-hmm. because they're not, you know, a lawyer that's hired to defend one side or advocate for the other. They are purely advocating for those kids. And so that was, that was one of the, the helpful things that we were able to, uh, uh, to explore. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's, you know, then there's also just on the emotional side, is, um, you know, building those attachments because, you know, as a newborn that, you know, even flesh to flesh contact that they experience with their parents creates a bond. And we didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And then you have other issues on top of that, the trauma that our boys carried. And, um, so that was, that was a challenge was making those connections, especially with our older one, because he, he was a little bit further along developmentally wise he um, had a few more memories of what things were like in his in, in the home of his biological parents. Mm-hmm. Um, our younger one was uh, just shy of one years old when he was taken from the home, and so he doesn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there are those those attachment issues that we had to work through, and thankfully there's there's a lot of people that have done some work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lady named Karen Purvis, who actually passed away a few years ago. She was a professor at uh, Texas Christian at TCU in Fort Worth, and she wrote a, a book on attachment issues. And that was a, a good resource for us. It's a good resource for any parent, but especially if you are fostering or adopting and you're really trying to work hard at creating those relationships. Uh, Karen Purvis is a great resource to read. Um, she got into interest in, in fostering adoptive care. Uh, she actually was serving as a missionary through uh, Southern Baptist mm-hmm. International Mission Board. And while she was overseas, she did some work in, a, uh, in an orphanage and became aware of some of the emotional needs that these kids were experiencing. And uh, that became her passion and her interest. And so she spent the rest of her life uh, investigating and writing and studying how to better help kids feel an attachment to their parents. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's a good resource to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I while you were talking, looked up the CASA CASA. And, um, you know, their website has a really helpful page on on myths and facts about foster care adoption. And um, I think you've actually addressed just about all of them as you've been talking (laughs) about these things. But but I think it's it's maybe helpful to emphasize the need for adoption from the foster care system. Um, the, mm. on, on their site, they indicate that there are 400,540 children in the U.S. foster care system. And uh, that the average age for a child in foster care is nine years old. And yeah. uh, that that is an astounding amount of children. And it is. Um, so so clearly there's a need. And um, it's it's been good to hear of how God has used your family to be part of meeting that need. 
Um, but as you and, and, look, or go ahead. Oh, and that, and that's one of the things I know in, in the state of Oklahoma for the, the kids that have, do not have a placement that are in foster care. If one family from every church in our state, um, fostered, we would empty the foster care system. Mm. You know, that's how easy it would be. You know, we would, we would completely wipe that out. And there are some churches that have emphasized that. Uh, I know there was a church in Birmingham, Alabama, that they found out how many were in the entire county. And it was a, it was a larger church, but they, they got the number. They emphasized it for a couple of weeks, and they emptied their counties, uh, all the kids that were in their county from uh-huh. the foster care system. They had placements for every single one of them. And so it's something, it's a big number, but when you look at how many churches, how many believers do we have in, you know, in America, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's a number that we could take care of. Yeah. And I, I just encourage, you know, there's a, in Oklahoma, we have an initiative uh, one for one and it's, it's to get one family from every church to, to foster a child. And, and that, again, that would take care of, of every child and what a better, what a better place, you know, to, for them to be. Yeah. Just, just looking on, on Google there in Minnesota, according to an NPR thing in May of 2020, there are, are about 10,000 children in Minnesota's foster care system and about 900 are waiting for permanent homes. And, mm-hmm. um, that, that's perhaps something that we as a church can pray about and pursue and, and perhaps be Part of part of a, a healing and and helpful solution to to the needs uh, of these children. When when you have thought about adoption, obviously you're you're a, a pastor and a PhD student, so maybe you're more inclined to think theologically about these things as well. But as you consider adoption, what how how does that help us think theologically, or how does that display theological realities? Yeah, I I think. You know, the passage you read in Ephesians at the very beginning, that's so profound because what our boys are experiencing is what all of us have experienced as believers. Because, uh, you know, the, the Bible is very clear about our relationship with God prior to our salvation. That we are at, at enmity with God, that there is, you know, actual rebellion that's going on in our hearts against God, against the things of God. And, you know, that's, that's where God intervenes and draws us to him. And we're not, we're not worthy. We don't have that relationship that, that prior exists. And so here God is, and by no work of our own, uh, he saves us and he picks us up out of whatever trauma and situation that we've been in. And he gives us his name. And uh, I, I think, you know, whenever I think about what Jeremiah says, um, about when your words came to me, I ate them. Um, and, and, he, and he closes that, that idea by saying, for I bear your name. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, you know, even more so, more distinctly as Christians, because we bear the name of Christ in the title that we have. And so we're given that new name as our boys. When they were adopted, we changed their names. And certainly their last names became the last name of, of myself and my wife mm-hmm. and kind of sealed the deal in, uh, in symbolizing that we are a forever family. And that's what mm-hmm. we, we celebrate every January 20th is that we are a forever family. And oftentimes when I lay the boys down at night, I will remind them that I love you. I will always love you. Nothing you can do will ever make me stop loving you. Mm-hmm. I will never love you less. 
You'll never have to earn my love. I will always just give it to you. Just as a reminder of the grace that I've received from God, that I could not have worked for the relationship I have with Christ, but I received it because of what God did completely. Mm -hmm. And he, his love is without bounds and uh, will never end regardless of how bad. And I do (laughs) regardless of how bad that I mess things up. uh, God will continue to, to love me and call me his own. So that's a, it's a beautiful reassurance there. Um, You know, that's one of the things when we talk about Roman law is um, the, the permanence of adoptions, you know, Um, from what I've, I've read that the, their adoptions could not be dissolved. Mm -hmm. There was a permanence to it. And so uh, similarly with our relationship with God, when he adopts us and makes us brothers and co-heirs with Christ, then that is a permanent uh, relationship change that, that happens there. And, uh, you know, I don't ever want to make my boys into just a a sermon illustration. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm real hesitant about sharing their story and Mm -hmm. specifics of their story. Um, but when people can watch us and be reminded of the love that God has for them as well, um, you know, I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a living illustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I don't, I don't think we want to turn adoption into some performative gesture, um, but, but instead to be a natural response to the adoptive reality that, that we've experienced. And mm. I, yeah, I, I think there could be a unhelpful way of, of talking about adoption in response to this is, is almost like, um, yeah, we're we're using this as a mechanism to to show something, and uh, you know, we're we're like God here, and and these kids have been rescued in a way, and and that's the whole purpose in adoption. Because I think, as as much as there's that theological grounding and instinct, it it it's, goes beyond that because you adopted them so that you could love them and and care about them. And I appreciate exactly. how clearly that's come out. Your your adoption was. N- efforts was not, you know, simply, uh, to, to show something, but to actually do something, which, which is to right. love them. Well, as, as yeah, we... and it's, it's, it's scary because there are, there is that in our culture. Um, I, you may remember, um, I guess this is about a year and a half or two years ago. I don't know. Since the pandemic, does time mean anything anymore? <laughs> no, um, it, it's all, the, it's all one mess. <laughs> but I feel like it was about two years ago. There was a uh, she was an Instagram influencer, and they had adopted a child, and he was special needs. Mm-hmm. And then kind of abruptly, he just disappeared from the pictures that she was posting. And then mm. people started asking, and uh, they said, you know, we were not able to provide the needs that this child re- uh, required. And, you know, it's like they got into it and not really counting the cost beforehand and mm-hmm. not realizing the the personal toll that it would take and parenting is hard and parenting, uh, as an adoptive parent is, is hard as well. And sometimes it, it it brings along its own unique challenges, um, Mm -hmm. with it. So, but, um, but it's something that we want to enter into prayerfully and know that we, we can't, we can't do it on our own. And we, that's why it's so important to be involved in a church as you're doing that. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's other ways for a church. I'll just want to mention this real quick. Uh, there are other ways if, if a family doesn't feel like 
they can be full-time foster parents. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, they can do something called respite care. And that's where you, you just, you're approved because as a foster parent, you have to be very careful. Um, you can't just let your kids stay with anybody. Um, there's, there's limits and they have to come out and approve of, of those homes and those places. Mm-hmm. And, but parents or families can become respite givers. And so what you do is you go through a, a shortened process, they approve your home. And then let's say those foster parents just need a night off, mm-hmm. you know, a date night and they can, you can keep those kids for a day or two and, and provide just a break for the foster parents. And, and that's a very valuable thing to have because uh, my wife and I, we went, we went months without a break Mm. and that was very, very difficult, uh, very trying for us because we, you know, trying to find people around us that could do that. Um, and so that's, that's one way that the church can step up Uh and, and help those who are being foster parents is by stepping up and being respite caregivers. That's good. That's that's really helpful. And and I guess along those lines, as as we kind of wrap up here, are are there any other pieces of advice that you would give to a church generally to uh, be be more supportive and helpful for families who are pursuing foster care or adoption? And is there anything that you would encourage those who might be praying or thinking about adoption for the very first time? Yeah, uh, I think for the church, one of the the things that comes with foster care is if that's what you're doing, um, you may get the phone call at 1130 at night that you've got a newborn coming your way and you don't have the things for it because you don't know who you're going to be getting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as a church, if there are uh, space to have like a resource room, let's say where you could have different sizes of diapers, um, uh, a fresh rotation of, of baby food or formula or things, you know, blankets, having uh, availability of a crib, um, having those things in the church, in a resource where they can, they can go get that stuff or contact someone and have access to that stuff immediately. Uh, that's a huge help. And, you know, talking to enough other foster parents, um, that's one of the things that they are afraid of is that, you know, getting that late night phone call and not having what they need to provide for that child. So that's one thing that a church can do is just being able to provide resources. Um, and it's a simple thing. As long as you've got the space to do it, you just have a room where you can do some of those things and someone that will oversee that, uh, mm-hmm. man, that's that's huge for 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 someone to know that, Hey, that's there, that's available for us. Um, and so for someone who's, who's seeking to do it and they're praying about it, Hey, you know, scripture's clear that we're to, to love the, you know, the widows and the orphan, those, those two uh, categories of people are, are mentioned so many times, the old Testament, the new Testament, both that we're called to do it. And so we've got a, a clear calling in scripture. And oftentimes, as I talk to our church about things, you know, if the scripture has made it clear for us to do, then that's what we're supposed to do, unless God has made it very clear that we're not supposed to. Uh, and so I think pursuing it and, and for those that, you know, if you're already praying about it and you feel like maybe this is what God wants us to do, um, that's probably a good sign. And so reach out, whether to your Department of Human Services or to a uh, foster agency, um, 
and, and find somebody to start the process. We had to go through 27 hours of training to be a foster parent. Hmm. And so uh, go ahead and start that process so that you have your certifications done. Do your background checks, have your home certified and be ready. And that way when the, the door is open, you're ready and you're not scrambling to do the things to prepare your home and your family to do that. So that's, that would be my encouragement. Just start taking some of those steps uh, to get ready. Jeremy, this has been both informative and encouraging. So thanks for taking the time to share a bit of your story and, and to encourage us as we as a church think about the reality of our adoption as God's children and of the, the great need for adoption in our state and in, in, in the world. Absolutely. My honor. This podcast is a ministry of Resurrection Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. As a church, we're excited to participate in Amnion Pregnancy Center's Walk for Life on June 5. If you are in the Burnsville area there, we would encourage you to sign up, join our church team as, as we prepare to support this organization and, and seek to raise funds for this great work that Amnion is doing in Burnsville and in the Twin Cities. To learn more, you can go to www.resurrectionmn.org.